book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. I have often thought that if I had just one book of the Bible to preach from, I would probably choose the book of Romans. Maybe the Gospel of John, probably the book of Romans. And if I had just had to pick just one chapter for study, I would choose the chapter we are entering this morning, Romans chapter 8. In this chapter, we have a wealth of truth. In fact, it seems that no matter what Bible doctrine you might study, uh, somewhere, no matter what along the line, you are going to delve into Romans chapter 8. This chapter is the climax and the conclusion of the doctrinal section of the book of Romans. If you recall, when we began our study, we saw the chapters 1 through 8 deal with doctrine, teaching. Chapters 9 through 11 are dispensational. They talk about God's continuing plan for the nation of Israel. God's not finished with Israel yet. And chapter 12 through 16 are devotional. They deal with practical application of the teaching that we have throughout the book of Romans. And in the first great section on doctrine, Paul has first of all shown us the need that each and every one of us has to be made righteous before God. We're all sinners. We've all fall short of God's standard. We need to be made right in the eyes of God. Uh, chapters 4 and 5, he demonstrates how faith in Jesus Christ is the only way that a man can be made righteous in the eyes of God. And in chapters 6 and 7, he deals with the question of how, how a man can become Christ-like practically in his everyday living. How can we live like Jesus? How can we be like Jesus? Not just in our position before God, but also in the way that we, we live our lives day by day. Chapter 6 talks about the right way to approach that. We, we know that we have died with Christ and we've died to sin, we've died to the law, and, and, and we are alive to Christ. We are alive with Christ. We are alive to Christ. Our focus needs to be on Christ. Like this first song we sang, or maybe it was the second one, uh, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about keeping our eyes on Him. He's our solid rock upon which we stand. Chapter 7 expresses something of the frustration we can get into when we take our eyes a little bit off the Lord and just kind of look at a, a list of do's and don'ts, a list of things that we think we should do according to the law. We get into chapter 8, and it tells us some of the far-reaching results and ramifications of putting our faith in Jesus Christ. When we are saved, we become children of God. We become joint heirs with Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are guaranteed the resurrection of our bodies. We are told that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. We are told in this chapter that nothing is going to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, and there is much, much more. In the next few weeks, we shall examine each of these thrilling truths a little more closely. But uh, today we start off with a bang as we consider the joy of living before a holy God with no 
condemnation. In verses 1 through 4, we read, we read four great truths about no condemnation. The reality of having no condemnation before the Lord. The, the reason why we can believe that we are not condemned before God. The rescue that, that resulted in us not being condemned before God. And finally, the results of having no condemnation before the Lord. Uh, we, we find a, a great statement given to us here in, in verse 1. We're going to read this verse again. We're going to read it several times through here. Get this statement. There is therefore, what's the next word? Now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I hope that excites you. I hope that you know for sure this morning that you are in Christ Jesus. And if that's your spiritual condition, then here's a tremendous guarantee. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation. You can know what your relationship is with God right here, right now. You don't have to wait till you die to find out what your spiritual condition is. You can know it now. What a great thing. And the first thing, we think about that word condemnation. And that word means punishment that comes following sentencing. Uh, somebody's found guilty and they're sentenced to uh, time in prison or they are, are sentenced to death. And as we're found guilty before a holy God, as we see in Romans chapter 1 through 3, we find that in Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is what? Death. Even eternal death. But thank God that verse doesn't end there because it goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the, this matter of condemnation implies being found guilty. That wasn't true in Jesus' case. In fact, he's put on trial. And what was Pilate's conclusion? I find no fault in this man. But still they, they screamed out for his death. And Jesus went to the cross, not because he was guilty, not because of anything that he had ever done. He went to the cross of Calvary for our sin. And there died in, in our place. So Christ was uh, did not deserve condemnation, but certainly you and I do deserve to be condemned before a holy God. But good news, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. One requirement, here's what it is. Be in Christ. Have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Know Jesus as your Savior and be trusting in Him and Him alone. Even though we are guilty of sin, this statement can be true of us. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, how can you know if you're in Christ Jesus? It's all about putting our trust in Him to be our Savior. It's all about repenting of sin, knowing that you need a Savior, and putting your trust in Christ to be your Savior. Is that true in your life this morning? Is Christ your Savior? Are you in Christ? I'll tell you what, it makes a great difference. Several thousand years before Jesus came to earth, God told Noah, build an ark. And by the way, I understand some folks went down to see the ark. How many have seen the ark? The replica of the ark down in Kentucky. I was talking with Terry Barons this morning. I talked, I think, to Rosemary a week ago. And they, they talk about what a, what a great, uh, impressive 
this life-size this life replica of the ark really is. It would have, been, would have been big enough for a whole lot of people, as well as all the animals that Noah was told to take on that ark. And when the flood came, the rains came, the flood came up, the only people that were delivered from that were those that were in the ark. Well, who were the ones who were in the ark? Those that believed God. Those that believed God enough to build the ark. Those that believed God enough to go into the ark before it ever started to rain. They believed God. They believed in God's provision, and they found themselves in God's provision, in the ark when the judgment came from God, when the condemnation from God came upon the earth as described back in Genesis chapter 6. How can you know if you're in Jesus Christ? Well, have you believed God? Have you believed what God has told you in his word about your sin and the problem it is in your life? Have you believed what God tells you in his word about who Jesus is and what he's done for you on the cross of Calvary? Have you believed God and taken Christ to be your Savior by faith? An act of your will, surrendering yourself to Christ as Lord and Savior in your life? If you have, i got great news for you. And it's not my news, it's the Bible's news. You see what it says here? There is therefore when, now, what? No condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. There's the requirement. And uh, we get on to the, the reason for this. Why, for those who are in Christ Jesus, is there no condemnation? Uh, first of all, the good news is we can know it right now. We can know for sure that we are right with God. We can know we are free from condemnation, and, and, and we don't have to achieve sinless perfection first. Aren't you glad for that? It doesn't say here, there is therefore no condemnation for those who have achieved sinlessness in their life. How would that make you feel if that's what you read? Uh, We'd be hopeless. It's for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to wait till we die to find out. Our, Our salvation is as sure as the promise of God. And we can know if we're condemned by God or not. And the one requirement given to us there, we must be in Christ Jesus. And uh, we get in Christ by faith. Keep one finger here in Romans 8. Go back with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And uh, we find out why Jesus came into this world. John chapter 3. You know, I'm thankful we're not limited to one book of the Bible. I'm glad we have all 66. And we can, can read through all of them and, and go cross-reference back and forth and, and learn more about what God has for us. John chapter 3, starting in verse 14, says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not be condemned, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's good news, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him 
might be saved. God could have sent Jesus into the world to condemn the world, and God would have been perfectly righteous and just in doing that. He could have sent Christ in as a, a supreme judge to just pour out his judgment upon sinful men, and God would have been perfectly holy and just in doing that. He didn't send Jesus to do that. Christ didn't come to do that. He came not that we be condemned, but that we be what? That we be saved. Verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. God made a provision in the time of the flood and the ark, and men turned away from it. God made provision in sending the Lord Jesus Christ into this world to be our Savior, and sadly, many people turn away from him. And what's it say about them when you've turned away from Christ? You are condemned already. But if you are in Christ Jesus, what's it tell us here? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, that term therefore points our attention back to the first seven chapters. Because of everything God said about our need and about his provision and about who Jesus is, and justifying us freely through him and through his grace, we can be free from condemnation. As we go on in verse 2, we see something about the, it says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And uh, we find here it talks about, we use that term law in a couple different ways. Uh, we use that word law in different ways. Sometimes we talk about uh, the, the law that, that's of the land that you have to obey, what the speed limit is, and, and uh, where you can park and where you can't park. And we have the Mosaic law in the Old Testament given to tell Israelites and, and, and Jews how to worship and what they could do and what they couldn't do. We also have that term law used in a different way many times, as, as principle. Uh, different, we, we talk about the laws of science and the laws of nature. Talk about the law of gravity, which says that if it goes up, what's going to happen? It's going to come down. We talk about the laws of chemistry and mathematics, where in chemistry, if you mix certain chemicals together, you may get a miracle cure. If you mix certain other chemicals together, you may get an explosion. But, but it's all according to principles, facts, things that we discover, realities. And here he talks about when he first starts using the term law here in verse 2, he's talking about some principles, some realities. And he says there is the reality of sin and death. It is a fact that sin works in you and me. We are, are all, all have a sin nature. We all have a bent towards going the wrong direction. We're born that way. We're born being dead in trespasses and sin. And without Christ, Men are in bondage to that sin nature. They can't break away from it. They're held by it. That, that, that's a, a principle that's true. That's a reality that's true. But thank God, here's another reality that's true. And that reality is that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from being bound by, by, by the law of sin and death. 
Christ makes us for, and, and we get an example of that. We talked about gravity a minute ago. And uh, we all know about gravity. We find out about that the first time we trip and fall and go down. Uh, first time we drop something. Uh, th things tend to come to earth at 62 square feet per second, something like that. Uh, at any rate, there are other laws that also operate. We have the laws of aerodynamics, that if you can get something moving fast enough and, and tilt a wing or an aileron or whatever, adjust the right angle, then you can overcome the law of gravity. Isn't that great? You put faith in the law of air, laws of aerodynamics every time you get on an airplane. That, that gravity can be overcome. Aren't you glad for that? Well, what happens if the plane slows down? What happens if the plane runs out of gas? What happens if that wing gets tilted the wrong direction? Gravity takes over. But the laws of aerodynamics can overcome the laws of gravity. And there's something someone in your life and mine that can overcome in our lives sin leading to death and that someone is the holy spirit of god he's called the, the spirit of life in christ jesus and he sets us free and what a wonderful thing it is to experience that the power of the holy spirit in in, in our lives overcomes the power of sin and death we can live a life that's pleasing to god you know we find that that christ not only changes our our position before god and he makes us righteous in the eyes of god but through the moving of the spirit of god in our lives he also helps us to live in such a way that we please god is it going to be sinless perfection not as long as we still have the sin nature there, we still fight that sin nature constantly, and there are times that the sin nature does still prevail. doesn't have to, but we're weak. And sometimes we, get our, we, we disobey the Spirit of God, and we, we, we get our eyes off of Jesus Christ, and we do stumble and, and, and we fall, but we don't have to stay down. In fact, even in those situations, there is forgiveness that's available. And we can get back into fellowship with God, and God's made provision whereby we can confess our sin and be made righteous and can continue to be righteous in God's eyes and, and cleansed from all of our sin. What a great thing. By the way, as we get into Romans 8, notice something here. We find in this chapter the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times. This chapter is all about our victory in Christ. This chapter is all about, about a victorious Christian life. It's all about enjoying the benefits of, of being a believer. And it's no coincidence that we have the Holy Spirit mentioned here 19 times because we need the indwelling, empowering, controlling Spirit of God working in our lives to help us be Christ-like, to help us live the Christian life, to help us have victory as we go through this life. In the previous seven chapters, the Holy Spirit was mentioned only one time as he produces the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, described back in chapter 1. But now, in this chapter, we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit and what he means in our lives as believers. We find that there's a rescue that leads us 
into this blessed condition whereby you and I can know right here, right now, that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That rescue is affected by God in sending his son into this world. God makes men righteous. That's all, that, that's what Romans chapter, first chapter is all about. God taking sinful people and making us righteous in his own eyes, making us acceptable to himself so that we can spend eternity with him. And, well, how can God do that? How can God take sinful people and make us righteous in his own We're told here in verse 3. The, the law couldn't do it. And here it's talking about the Old Testament law. The law couldn't do that. And not because there's a problem with the law, but where was the problem? Problems with man. Uh, the man is weak. The, that's the weakness in the flesh of men, as we read here. So what did God do? God makes us righteous by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh. We find God sent his own son to rescue us. And we're told here, Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. The wording here is very, very precise. And we read elsewhere in Scripture why it is so precise here. It's precise in the fact that it is emphasizing two things. Number one, Jesus became fully man. By means of the virgin conception and birth, he became man just like you and me. Fully man, human in every sense of the word. But there's one thing that Jesus did not experience. One thing that he did not have. That was a sin nature. We're told elsewhere that he's tempted in, in, in Hebrews 4. We're told he was tempted in all manners such as we are, but yet he was without sin. Christ not only did not sin, he could not sin because he is God. And the, the language here emphasizes that in talking about him coming in the likeness of sinful flesh. God, God and man in every sense of the word, fully God, fully man, but no sin. Jesus never sinned. Jesus could not sin. And in fact, he came into this world because of sin, on account of sin. That's why he came. He came into this world because of our sin, because that's what we needed rescued from. You know, if you, you uh, are, are drowning and you can't get up to the top of the water, you want a lifeguard to come because of the water, right? And you want him to get you up to the top of that water. That's what you need rescued from because you can't breathe water. As soon as you start trying to breathe water, you're in big trouble. Your lungs fill up and you die. But you want a lifeguard to come because of the water and you want him to pull you up to the top and get you into shore so you can breathe air. And Jesus came because of sin. That was our big problem. As much as water's the problem of a drowning man, sin's our big problem. And Christ came to rescue us because of sin. And it also tells us here that he, he condemned sin in his flesh. He condemned it. He destroyed it. He overcame our sin problem. He overcame the sin penalty when he died on that cross of Calvary and took the penalty that you and I deserve. He was condemning our sin and caring for it. 
And it's a good thing that Jesus came into this world to die on that. He came into the world to die for our sin. Some say, well, he came just to be a teacher, just to be a good example. Well, if that's all Jesus came for, we're in big trouble. He came into this world to give his life a ransom for many. He came to this world to die. He was given to die on the cross of Calvary to pay our penalty. And thank God, thank God he did that. He condemned sin in the flesh. And, and by the way, this is a great capsule statement of the gospel. That's what it's, what it's all about. The, the, the law couldn't redeem us. Uh, we were weak in the flesh. But God did redeem us. God did rescue us by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh, and he rescues us. A good parallel passage here, 2 Corinthians 5.21, where we're told that he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what the gospel is all about. Aren't you glad you're rescued? Because we've been rescued, we can say there's now, no, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything we've done, but all because of what Jesus did. And the results of all this, we find that because of what Jesus did, the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled. In a, he paid our penalty. He paid our penalty. And as a result of that, we don't walk according to the flesh. By the way, this is a, a statement of a, a description of somebody that's an unbeliever. Living just according to the flesh, just according to the sin nature. That's, thank God, that's not the only thing operating in us. It's still there. We still got to fight it. We still got to work against it. But that's not all that's going on. We don't walk according to the flesh. By the way, this statement here in, in verse 4 in the, old, in the King James and the New King James, they also have it plugged into verse 1. Most of your old manuscript, it's not in verse 1. And in most of your newer translations, they, they follow the older manuscript and they leave it out. It, it probably kind of, some copyist slipped it back in, in verse 1 as well as having it here in verse 4. The, the truth is there. We don't walk according to the flesh, but when we know Christ as Savior, when we are in Christ Jesus, then we walk according to the Spirit and walking through the Spirit. And we'll be talking about more that's involved in walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and living in the Spirit as we go through chapter 8. But this is not a means of getting in Christ. You don't get in Christ because you start walking in the Holy Spirit. That, that, that it's a result of being in Christ. There's only one thing that's required for you to be in Christ here this morning and that's coming to the place in your life where you recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you repent of your sin, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you do that sincerely, you are in Christ Jesus. And that's a wonderful condition to be in. I, I hope you can say with confidence this morning, I know I'm in Christ. And, and it's not because of anything that you've done, but it's all about what Christ has done for us. And because of what he has done for us, we can make the statement, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what, this is the greatest thing you can ever know and know it for sure. Do you know today you're not condemned? Isn't that wonderful? Because we're talking about being condemned by God. 
We're talking about being condemned for all of eternity. And what Jesus did for us on, on Calvary's cross rescues us from that. And we're no longer under the condemnation of God. We're no longer facing eternal damnation. But rather we have forgiveness. Rather we are justified. Rather we are made righteous in the eyes of God. Rather we are, are brought into the family of God and made an heir and a joint heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're promised that nothing's going to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This chapter starts out great, doesn't it? What a, what a great beginning. There's therefore when? Now. Now. Not when you reach a certain spiritual plateau. Not when you reach perfection. But it's when you have come to Jesus Christ, just as you were in your sin, and received his cleansing, and received his forgiveness. Then you became in Christ and experienced no condemnation. Go over to the end of the chapter here because of what we read in verse 1. We get over to the end of the chapter, and in verses 38 and 39, notice what Paul says. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. What a great condition. No condemnation. Now we can know it. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that I'm not condemned before God because I'm not sure that I know Christ as my Savior. Well, I can guarantee if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are condemned before God. But what a great thing. We come to God and trust Christ as Savior, and we are saved not because we deserve it. We are saved by what? We are saved by grace, God's undeserved favor. And what do we bring to God? The only thing we bring to God is our faith. We trust in Jesus. And then there's no, that now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Does that excite you at all? Isn't that thrilling to know that's our condition? Wow. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for making this a reality that we can be sure of in our lives today. And I pray for any discouraged Christian that walked into this building this morning that they'd find encouragement, Lord, in the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation to them if they're in Christ Jesus. But they have eternal life. They're your child. They belong to you. Nothing's ever going to separate them from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And Lord, help us to walk out here encouraged, ready to share the truth of our wonderful Savior with people that you bring across our path. And Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, Father, I pray they might even trust him today, that they would, wouldn't try to clean their lives up first or anything like that. They'd come to Christ just the way they are, knowing they're sinners in need of a Savior and letting you take care of the cleansing. We'll give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to the...